Okay, I'm going to be reading uh, from 2 Corinthians 4. And God gave me this personally um, to me after a fairly uh, sleepless and a rough night. And as, <clears throat> as there were many projections, whether they were from the enemy or just my own thoughts, uh, which can be a, a wrong experience. But the fact is that when it's either the projections, and of course Satan always projects imaginations, which are lies against a settled faith and dependence that we have in Christ as our foundation. <clears throat> but having those times, and I think we've all had them, but I'm just speaking for myself this morning, it, <clears throat> whether they were these projections uh, through some dreams or just, uh, uh, just playing back different thoughts, the sense that I had as I was almost like sleepless or in between... I'm not exactly sure. It, there was a sense of just being lost. And sometimes I think that enters into just being, you know, rehearsing some things that are happening. But boy, when we do, when, when we don't understand them or experience them in Christ, boy, they can, they can give you the sense of, of, of being lost. And that's uh, the enemy, of course, he, he wants to constantly uh, project that to believers, some sense of being lost and, and being, uh, and we are in one sense hopeless and helpless, but we're not hopeless and helpless and lost in Christ. So he does everything he can to separate that. And so I'll read uh, in Second Corinthians and then we'll just uh, see what God has for us. And this is what it says in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, seeing. And boy, how important that is. Seeing, we. Do all see? No. Only those that are in Christ and only those that experience him. Through him, as he interprets himself. I, I posted that this morning. And I was so thankful for that, too. And I was very thankful because the thoughts that came to me this morning is, no matter what, God is his own interpreter. He knows his thoughts about himself, and he knows his thoughts about me. And I don't, thank God, I don't have to privately interpret them. And privately would be, we'll see what that means, to privately interpret and where that comes from. And we can see the truth of that again in 2 Peter 1, uh, 19 to 21. Thank God we don't have to privately interpret God or ourselves or anyone for that matter. He, and thank God in his love, he's never left that up to us. But therefore seeing we have, and then we'll thank God. Boy, I was so glad this morning to get up and receive the truth of God's word. And it's almost like, I think in a sense, he lets the enemy at times have at us because he's preparing something so great for us. And that's why I think when, when we look at things and sometimes they are dark, but as dark as the night is, the sun's still shining and it will dawn in the morning. And boy, I'll tell you, I love the mornings. 
especially when I have those kind of nights. And um, that's what it was for me, and I'll tell you, but thank God, therefore seeing that we, that I have this ministry. And boy, when I see what I have and see the results of it in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, thankful that we're not sufficient in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And that's why we're never lost, because God is his own interpreter. Oh, boy. And again, we're going to see why, and that's why. All all the so-called theologians in the world, even the most well-meaning ones, They can't come up with how God interprets himself. It must be God that does it. It must be him. And we we don't have the right to interpret ourselves outside of how God thinks about us in Christ and, and no more than anyone else. So therefore, seeing that we have this ministry, this ministry, that Christ is our sufficiency, he is, and that there's no longer a veil, you know? Can you, can you picture a veil over you and then you trying to walk somewhere? It, you would just get lost. You trip up and get lost. But thank God there is no more veil for us. We can, we can face him with an open face because thank God we're in Christ. And, and so it's the Lord, the Lord that is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's this freedom that we have. And that freedom is the fact that God's his own interpreter. And that's how he interprets us. Oh, boy. He never interprets who we are apart from who he is and who he made us to be in the son of his love. And that's why I firmly believe it, as God brought it to me again, there is no theologian but God himself. He's his own interpreter. And I, I say that in, in the most restful, loving place. Because the Lord is that spirit. And when he's the self-interpreter, there's freedom. There's freedom. And freedom means we have the right to be free and not have the right, thank God, to privately interpret God anything about his word or anything about ourselves or even about another soul but that he's the interpreter. So, and as we have received this mercy, as we have received this truth, this godly, this self-interpretation of God and myself, then as I've received that mercy, and boy, is it ever a mercy, and mercy again, just so that we can... uh, be reminded, all of us together, that mercy is you and I not receiving from God what we deserve to get. That means even when we're lost in rebellion or ignorance or anything, God is still his own interpreter. And he still interprets who we are through himself. And he just waits in the humility of his plan to humble us so that we can receive the grace to make that proper adjustment And that's why he's waiting in Isaiah 30, verse 18. And that's why he's at strength in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And in Joel 3, 
verse 10, and in both those areas that we receive it, we're not lost in the sense that there's a time to battle, that grace does the battle in us, and and in in Joel 3:10, and then, and then in Isaiah uh, Isaiah 2 verse 4, uh, uh, I reversed him. There's a time to battle in Isaiah 2 verse 4 against the lies, as we as God interprets Himself to us, and then there's a time not to. And just to receive it and rest in it. And that again, that's, that's Joel 3.10, where it talks about beating the swords into plowshares and the plowshares into swords. We don't know when, where, and how to do that. Only God can interpret when that is right. And that's wisdom. And that's who we have in Christ. But as we have received this mercy, this truth, this Christ, we faint not. We don't turn coward. We're not afraid living lost in a lie. We don't. But because we have that mercy and because he doesn't add to us what we deserve to get, which is mercy, he comes in and gives us grace, everything we don't deserve to get. And in that sense, that allows us the very means and substance that he gives us in Christ to renounce the hidden things. They can, we can bring them right into the light and know they're dealt with. The hidden things of shame, not dishonesty, but shame. And that's what makes us dishonest, by the way. It's shame. It's being lost in something that's not true. And that will lead to what? Walking in craftiness. And then that leads to handling the word of God deceitfully. But in, in the result, the opposite by manifestation of the truth. And what's that? That's God interpreting himself to me and interpreting who I am. That's again, that's what he told Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 to 14. Those two questions. Who, who am I and who are you? God is his own interpreter of both. And when he is, we always see the answer is, I am with you. That's the answer to everything that we go through. In Christ, I'm with you. Who am I? Me, who am with you. Who are you? I am with you. And then you won't be lost. See? But And by this way, by manifestation of God being an, a, a personal interpreter of himself to me and me to him, of who I am, me intimately, that comes out as the manifestation of the, tr the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. Oh boy. We become the witness of God's self interpretation, not only to ourselves, but to every single person we come in contact with. To every man's conscience. And how do we do this? We do it in the what? In the sight of God in the sight of his own interpretation of himself and our interpretation of who he's made us to be in the son of his love, having transliterated us out of the kingdom of darkness, made us meet to be and qualified to walk in the light, to be citizens of the light in Colossians 1.12, having delivered us out of the, this uh, world and, and transliterating us and planting us in the son of his love in 113 of Colossians. 
And what a beautiful truth this is to see. But, here's the but. Here's the but. But if our gospel be hid, and boy, was I so happy to wake up this morning and know that I don't have to be lost. I don't have to be lost. We're going to find out some of the things that we can be lost in, obviously through a lie pertaining to the old man to which we are not connected to ever again, ever. As much as the enemy projects, and remember, he's always projecting lies, imaginations, fiery missiles against who we are in Christ. And the, I think at times, the, I know in my case, the enemy, you know, God allows the enemy to do that just so he can wake me up and blast it away <laughs> and use me as a testimony, a little piece of dust, a testimony and witness against him and how defeated he truly is, but truthfully, truly who we are in Christ, Christ being glorified. That's the issue. And again, that whole 23rd Psalm brings, brings that out beautifully, by the way, as we understand it more and more as we grow in it. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And don't think, and I don't think for a second, that that enemy can't come in through the flesh when I function in it and cause me to be lost experientially. Never, never, never positionally. Never, ever, ever positionally. Thank God for that. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world. Let me tell you this and again, and as this has been brought out to me by so many others long before me, and of course renewed to me constantly by the Holy Spirit, making it mine personally, through God interpreting himself to me personally, just like he'll do to each of us, and interpreting who I am in him in whom the God of this world, what, has blinded the minds, hardened, really, the word hardened the minds of them which refuse to believe. Why? So that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, see, that's self-interpretation. My interpretation of who I am is Christ. <laughs> oh, boy. Who is the image of God, Right? lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves. Oh boy. We don't preach ourselves, but severed from the self-life, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. Now here we're going to read verses 6 and 7. And then we're going to go back, we're going to go back to Genesis, the third chapter. But look at what it says. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Remember? Remember in Genesis 1, 3 through 5, that it was God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Remember? That's right. Well, who is he? But who is he but Christ who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the very face of Jesus Christ. What's that mean? That's our identity. That's our image. That's true light. And we don't have to function in the darkness and being lost through a lie. Boy, it's a scary thing to be lost. Come on, let's just all be honest about it. 
it's it can be a very scary thing. And 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 how would the enemy seek to do that? Through his projections, his lies, right? Through our own thoughts, what we think are our own, but they're just merely his lies and projections that we think of that are our thoughts, but in reality they're not. Because who are we? We are in Christ. I mean, who are who do we appear before God in? In Christ. Oh God, so amazing. Right? Who has who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in these earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. Again, God's his own interpreter. He doesn't leave it up to us. We have that treasure in us, but we don't know that treasure outside of God revealing it to us constantly. That treasure, that treasure is our true image. That true image is Christ. He doesn't leave it up to us. And that's what happens when the earthen vessel seeks to function apart from the treasure. Christians, they start teaching things that are completely contrary to the image of God. They become their own self-interpreters. And so do we when we don't submit to him constantly, our wills. We do have this treasure in these fragile clay jars that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. And it isn't. And we may be troubled on every side. We may be. Many times we are. Many many times that happens. Many different times we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We can be perplexed, but not in despair. We will be persecuted because we're in Christ and he's really Christ is in us. (laughs) And so we'll be persecuted, but never forsaken. We can be cast down at times. We can be. We can be cast down at our failure, at our sins, at our, our, all the different things that we come in contact with, but not destroyed. We can always bear about in the body the dying of the Lord, and that's necessary for us to have a proper interpretation, for God to properly interpret our true image in Christ. That the life also of Jesus Christ might be made manifest, what? In our bodies. For we which are always, for we which live are always delivered unto death. Why? It's for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, us as believers, and towards each other, but life in ourselves towards each other. Oh, we don't interpret each ourselves or each other outside of God's perfect, complete interpretation and image of himself. And because if I don't have a proper image in Christ, I no longer have a proper image of God, period. And I will self-interpret him and myself and, listen, everybody else. And then I, the enemy will cause us to use circumstances and situations to interpret to us the lie of what he, th- he says is a reality. I love this interpretation when we see in 2 Corinthians 4, 8. And, and 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. Listen to what it says. There may be crowding enemies pressing in from every side. You ever feel like that sometimes? 
But that's how I woke up. Crowding enemies from every side and yet not crushing me because those, <laughs> those angels, the police of heaven, cleared the way just wide enough for you and I to get through. <laughs> we have a whole invisible army. Of course, it's all what Christ has accomplished, and that's all that they're doing, by the way, acting as those. And the little, little translation here is we are crowded on every side, but not crushed. Not crushed. Nope. One whose way, do you ever feel this way? One whose way seems utterly closed. And yet, somehow we've pressed through. There's light enough to show me, or to show us, the next step. And the Revised says, we're, we may be perplexed, but we're not. Not never unto despair. Never. It seems at times the enemy would project that we're without a way. No, it may seem that way, but we're never without a byway. He always makes a way. Yep, Isaiah 43, 19. He always makes a way in the wilderness. You can get lost there just as much as anybody, just as much as I. And then we see this. There's an enemy in hot pursuit. While the divine defender stands by, waiting, and he is not left alone. We're not left alone. We're not left alone. We're not. <laughs> Translated what? Oh, boy. We may be pursued, and that, again, is brought out in Psalm 23. We may be pursued, but never abandoned. Thank God he said, in Joshua 1, 5, I'll not fail you nor forsake you. He said in Hebrews 13, verse 5, a triple salutation, I will never, no, never, no, never in any way ever leave you nor forsake you. I will only allow the enemy to do what he thinks he can do because only that leads to you to me to where you can have a proper interpretation as I myself interpret who you are through the perfect, complete image of my son, to my utter rest and satisfaction where you can rest and where you should rest and thank God. And it's still, it can be still even more in, in, in our going through this wilderness, still more vivid and dramatic. The enemy, what, has overthrown us. We've been overthrown at times. You ever feel like he struck you down and knocked you down? Yep. But... He was never allowed to do a fatal blow. And he, why? And because we're not, we're able to rise up again. I can't tell you how many times in my young life as I battled enemies within, not what someone did to me, only my own personal enemies. And God, I would cry out in Micah 7, 8, through his mercy and grace, don't you rejoice against me, you enemy. Though I fall, I'll rise again. And though I may be sitting in darkness, the Lord, right in that darkness, will be a light unto me because there's no difference to him. His image doesn't change. His image of himself and my image of, of who he's made me to be in Christ never changes because he doesn't in Malachi 3, 6 and James 1, 17. And it's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, my image, today, my image, and forever, my image. 
in Hebrews 13, verse 8, so don't rejoice against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I'll arise, and when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me, because both the light and the darkness are a light to him. In other words, he sees me through all of it, who I am in him. In Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12, and we may be troubled, but oh, thank God, it's not who we are. Nope. We may be overthrown at times, but we're never overcome because we're more than conquerors in him in Romans 8, verse 37. And now it seems to be even death itself, right? But, but we don't die. For the life, the life also of Jesus Christ now comes to our aid. Oh, boy. That life is our proper image. That life is our proper thought. Christ is our proper image. He's God's full thought, full interpretation of who he is and who I am. And that's why he's the son of God and became the son of man. Because only God, and that's what Job was crying out in the midst of his trial in Job 9 verse 33. I said, I had someone that could touch me in all of my weakness and yet still touch God. And that's who we have. Thank God in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one mediator. One go-between, really, one true interpreter. For man, it is the, for men, it is the man, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. And so because of that, thank God, thank God, he comes to our aid. And he lives, you and I live in the life of another until our life's work is done. He'll never leave us. He'll never leave us. And he'll never, ever forsake us. Do you remember in Genesis 3, verse 22? And, and this is what it says. And the Lord said, even through the fall of man, in Genesis 3, 1 through 6, he said, the Lord said, behold, the man, the Adam race, the Adam, the race man, is become as, notice that, as one of us. That's what the enemy says. If he's not accusing us of who we are in Christ in Revelation 12, then he's deceiving us still in Revelation 12, 9, like he deceives the whole world, like he did with Eve, like he does with every single person that's not saved and every single Christian that doesn't function in who they are in their proper image in Christ through humility and dependence that you can become as God. Everything about our learning was that. How to be a success. How you can make yourself be something. <clears throat> yes, but that's what, but that's what, the, what God was spoke, and he spoke it in the Trinity. They've become, man has become as one of us to know good and evil. To interpret God through their own self-interpretation. And now... God, in his unbelievable mercy, what does he do? He puts forth his hand and takes, so he wouldn't take of the tree of life and live forever separated. What did God do? He kicks him out. He kicks him out of the place. And thank God, he kicks us out of the place where through our own interpretation, we will take the tree of life and interpret that. Interpret God, interpret Christ, and interpret self, and interpret one another. But you know, out they went, and then you see the cherubim with a flaming sword, keeping the way of Eden in Genesis 3, verse 24. This 
is God's account of fallen man. This is God's account of all those that are unsaved. Listen, this is God's account of any Christian that functions in the flesh, which they're not of. In Romans 8, verse 9. Here's the lie from Satan. Satan, he never deceives by just a mere abstract lie. He just, he doesn't do it that way. I've seen it in my life. And I know I'm going to continue to see. But you know what he does? He tells as much as he can of attractive truth. (laughs) He does. God is love. God does love us. But God is love and God loves us in Christ. That's right. That's where he loves us. Okay, so, but he never, he never does this. He never leads this, this lie that he says that with this, uh, so much of this attractive truth that is, that is attractive to us in a fallen state, but it, what that truth does is it never leads to obedience by it. Never. Never, 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 never. Why? Because what Satan gave... <laughs> like he can give anything that's true. But what Satan gave as a promise to man, God pronounced to be true. He did. He, got, he, he did. That was just enough attractive truth. But the lie was that, that he would take it apart from God and that he would know it by disobedience. How do we interpret good and evil? The only way outside of Christ is through disobedience. See? It's through disobedience. And so Adam and the whole Adam race, what? Knows evil and guilt. It's the only way we can know it. Oh, God. You talk about an unbearable burden. Oh, boy. I'll tell you. Guilt. I don't know if anybody knows that one. But it's an unbearable burden. But Christ bore it. Thank God he bore it. It's an unbearable burden. And, and so Adam and the whole race, and us even in the flesh outside of Christ, we know it. We, how do we know it? We know it in disobedience. He knew it in the admitted power of sin over his soul. You know what we always find out outside of Christ and in disobedience? Sin is always stronger than our will. Because the will's not yet given over in areas to God. It always is. That's Romans 7.21. He said, when I, when I know good, what, when I desire and desire to do good outside of Christ, what is evil? Evil is present with me. He always wants to accuse us and remind us of the guilt that we have constantly. Constantly. That's why we need to keep that shield up in Ephesians 6, 16. But you know what? He knew it. He knew good and evil as a creature, but a creature over whom that good and evil outside of Christ had power over. Oh, God. That's very intense. And he knew it by and with, listen, a bad conscience. Very bad conscience. That's where the guilt becomes lodged 
but we have a cleansed conscience. But the lie comes, we have a cleansed conscience in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2. He's done it in Hebrews 10, 10. He has cleansed it and perfected it through his blood in Hebrews 9, 12. And, and through what he did with him entering into heaven on our behalf, first for God on our behalf, and then in Hebrews 9, verse 14, he did it. We have a cleansed conscience through what he did. And that's why he's our interpreter. And thank God, never left up to ourselves with guilt and a bad conscience. God knows good and evil, but he knows it. Boy, if we, can, we need to understand this. We are not theologians. We are not scholars. We are not interpreters of God. Why? Because God alone knows good and evil, and he knows it by the infinite and intrinsic possession of good and himself being good alone, and therefore he knows evil is that which is what? Infinitely repudiated by him. What? Some can't believe, oh, that there's a hell and people are going to burn there forever. That's because you're trying to interpret God by yourself. And because you would think that you know evil like God and you would know good like God. Where do you think these things come from? Everyone's going to get out. Universalism. No, they're not. No. Then somehow they're going to be annihilated. Of course you want that to be annihilated because you want to live without him. And as a result, if you can't, then you want to be annihilated. Tell me that's not pride. I mean, those, those teachings, like I never saw this morning, those, that's pride universalism and annihilationism. It's just based on pride. Trying to determine good and evil and be a self-interpreter apart from God, how he's interpreted himself through his word and his will, listen, through his Christ. Boy, oh boy. Well, we're going to wrap it up, I believe. <laughs> oh boy, but you know, you and I, as just a mere creature, we do not know good and evil. We don't, as a mere creation, as a mere creature. Little, little dusties. For you and I are not supreme. Only God is. Only God is. Evil, known to just a creature, is known in conscience, but a guilty conscience. Oh, Lord, thank you for delivering us. Thank you, God. You and I, when we live that way, or the world, thank God, that's not who we are, are subject to judgment in the knowledge of it. That's why the world, ha why do you think there's universalism taught? Why do you think there's annihilationism taught? Because why? Why? Because we stand, not us in Christ, but they would stand condemned, right? In that knowledge why? Because mankind, apart from Christ, hates the judgment of God and hates the judge. And you and I in the flesh, well, it won't be any different with us. In Romans 8, 7, the flesh has strong, settled feelings of hatred against God, cannot be subject to the law of God, which is in Christ in Romans 8, 2, and 3. Neither indeed can be. So they that function in the flesh, living like the world, although they're not, cannot please him. 
Oh, boy. We don't want to be a self-interpreter through our own will, do we? No, not me. Why? Because selfishness cannot like its own condemnation. (laughs) So there's got to be universalism. Everyone's going to get out. Either that or if they can't. And I know people, at first they were universalists. Everyone's getting out. Then they changed. Now everyone that's only in Christ is saved. The rest are annihilated. (laughs) Oh, Lord. And none of us are any different with any correct uh, interpretation outside of Christ. Listen. Selfishness cannot like its own condemnation, nor can it like to be subject to any. Is that us in the flesh? Oh, you best believe it. You like to be corrected? Nope. None of us do. But have we been in Christ? And is he correcting us in love by a proper image? And there's no question about that. That's what he's doing constantly, and we're thanking God for that. And so therefore, cannot please God. This knowledge of good and evil may be darkened in its judgment. Why? Because it has a false rule. It has a false rule or guide. And that that can be introduced to us through a lie. And that lie begins to have power to deceive and blind and harden. Harden the heart. Harden it. Right? Keep out. What does it do? For the believer, it keeps out the glorious light, the glorious Christ, the good news, spelling out God as he interprets himself and our proper image in Christ. And oh, how he hates it. He, the enemy glories when the believer is living in the flesh. Glories when our will is not submitted. But flees the instant it is that we, we do submit to him. God resists the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself to God through Christ. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Then you can draw near to God. And then he'll draw near to you. Then then we can cleanse our hands constantly. Oh, it's a great thing, isn't it? To cleanse our hands, to be able to eat a meal, sit down and eat a meal and feast with clean hands, which speaks of a communion and a fellowship restored through confession in 1 John 1, 9. And as was taught to to us, as he taught it to Peter in in John the 13th chapter in verses 7 through 10 in a beautiful way. Thank God that this is all teaching us proper image through God interpreting himself and interpreting who we are in our proper image in Christ. Thank God we don't have to live by, by any false guides or any false reasonings. And God can and God may give up a a person to a reprobate mind. He may do that. He may do it. Or Satan may introduce a law of darkness. And what is a law of darkness? When we function in a law of darkness, what do we function in? We function in his power to deceive us, to harden us, and, and to keep that glorious gospel from God spelling out, interpreting himself to us who we are in Christ. He wants to keep that out. And he does everything he can. And you know what this leads to? What it leads to is what is not from God and which may, what? Be made its estimate of right. He wants to make his lie to be the estimate of what is right. 
and what is wrong. What is that? Remember in Isaiah 5.20, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Really, the Hebrew says, woe unto them that say concerning evil, it is good. Evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What is bitter? You know what bitter is? It's self-knowledge. It's self-knowledge, self-interpretation of God. Oh, boy. The self-interpretation of God and bitter, even for the Christian, becomes his dealings with us. Become bitter. But are they? Could they be for us in Christ? No. Why? Why? Because it's to, to the law and the testimony, even in the Old Covenant. What is that? To the law and the testimony. It is to the law and the testimony. If they speak not according, it says to this word, listen, to this proper interpretation. Why? It is because there's no light in them. There's no light in them. And really the Hebrew says there's no mourning. There's no mourning. Just coming out of darkness and the day breaks, the dawn breaks and there's light. There's no mourning in them. Oh boy, we have an eternal mourning, I'll tell you. It's, our future is so bright in Christ. And oh, how the enemy seeks to darken that. Oh, how he seeks to do that. Oh boy, bitter. The bitter self-knowledge of God and his dealing with us. Well, we have this morning. Oh yeah, we have that morning because Christ is in Revelations 2.28 and Revelations 22 verse 16. He's our morning. And he wants that day to constantly dawn in our hearts, to give us the light that we deeply and desperately need so that we don't get lost in our experience through a lie and through deception. And we can see that. That's why, again, we're not to privately interpret God or ourselves or Christ or anybody or his word. Second Peter 1, 19 to 21. Thank God. It's up to God to interpret himself. And that's what Jesus said in Revelation 22, 16. He said, I, Jesus, has sent my angel, my messenger, to testify unto you these things. And that's what we, we want to be his own witness in ourselves and in intimacy, don't we? And thank God for those, and I do, and I woke up this morning, I was so thankful for a true godly evangelist, soul winner, and a true godly pastor and teacher, and we can't have any of those apart from Christ. And I'm so thankful to God for that. I am so very, very thankful for that. Every place that Christ is glorified, I am very, very thankful. But that's what he said. I sent my messenger to testify unto you these things in the church. And this is what he said. I am the root. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. We have, in 2 Peter 1.19, a more sure word of prophecy because it would be wise for us and we would do well to take heed to that. As unto a light that shines and is shining in a very dark place. We're in this satanic world system. It's a very dark place, but boy, do we have a light. We don't have to walk in the lie of the darkness and be lost. We don't. We, we, as much as we want to find him, he's there to be found. He's in us as much as we want to. And, and so as, as we wrap it up, until the day 
the day star. That's Christ. He's the day star. He's the day star that wants to and constantly rise in our hearts. Knowing this first. Notice what this says. We need to know this first. What? What are we to know first? That no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Listen, of any guilty, of any ruin, of any wrong, self-interpretation under the lie of the enemy. Man unfallen was not, properly speaking, holy. He wasn't. He just wasn't. Holiness and separation, he didn't experience that from that which was evil. But you and I have that. Isn't that awesome? We have that. See, we do. We have it. He was innocent. He, he didn't know evil. The only thing he knew in his, his innocence was this beneficent good that, God, that Christ was towards him. It, that's all. But fallen man, unsaved man, and fleshly man, or carnal Christians, know that what? What do we, we know evil. We'll continue to know evil in our experience apart from Christ, with a conscience that's constantly subject to judgment. And do we have any? No. We don't. And then what does that lead to? Honestly, hating God. Because if you don't love Him, what else is there? Is hating God. And that's why in Romans 8, 7, the minding of the flesh, and that's how it's really said in the original, the minding of the flesh is enmity. And enmity is ekthra. And this is what it says, ekthra. This is what Ekther is. Hostility for reason of opposition. Oh, God. You imagine living like that as a Christian? Hatred. Strong, settled, unchanging, not capable of change. Feelings, emotions based on the evil lies of hatred. It's the opposite of God's self-sacrificial love, self-sacrificial image, his self-sacrificial Christ and who we are in him. Here then is the revealed account, the accountability and condition of man as man. Subjection to God is now shown in obedience to Christ. That's where we know it. And honoring him, listen, not in some things, but in everything. Amen? Thank God. Oh, Lord, we thank you and praise you for, for your grace, for your mercy, for your unconditional love for us, for the image that we have in Christ. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.